Good morning, everybody. And good morning to you if you're watching online. Uh, as Charlie said, today uh, we are at part 10 of our Galatians series that we have called It's All About Grace. And uh, we've had a few breaks in the series, but we have week by week gone through the book of Galatians. And I don't know about you, but God has used this series in powerful ways across the church as people have reflected uh, back to me. I, I would say, personally, I feel like I've rediscovered grace all over again. I don't know about you. Uh, If you haven't been present over the last few weeks, or maybe you're watching back online, uh, please let me encourage you, do go back and watch this series. There has been, obviously, a lot of uh, time in the secret place of of spending time with God, of studying his word, and of articulating this series. So if you've missed it, please do go back and watch it. Because the thing is, our understanding of grace directly affects how we live. How we understand grace directly affects how we all move into this next season of multiplication and building for the future. I wonder what your biggest takeaway from this series is. I've kind of, uh, I'm telling you some of mine in telling you this, but we've talked about all of these things as we've gone through the series. We've learned that the peace of God only comes from a revelation of his grace. We've learned that grace changes us. If you remember, we heard Sarah's testimony and others' testimony of how God's grace has changed their lives. We've learned how back when Paul was writing this letter to the church in Galatia, there were people trying to add to the gospel and to draw people back into the law. One of the truths that I've learned through this series is to add to the gospel subtly is to lose the gospel entirely. We've learned that not only we need to be saved from our badness, we also need to be saved from our goodness, our self-reliant grace, that we need saving from this tendency to slip back into trying to earn God's love. Do you remember Galatians 5.1? Phil spoke about it a few weeks ago. For freedom, Christ has set us free. So what do we need to do, Coastline? We need to stand firm, therefore, and not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Church, we have infinite reserves of the Holy Spirit, and arguably, we should all be living free. We shouldn't be rowing, we should be sailing. Today, we're in Galatians 6, but just before I get into this text, let me just clear something up. I've heard a small few number of you, maybe they're not here, they're at New Wine at the moment, but there's a few of you that have said, if we talk about grace too much, then people will take advantage of it and use it as a license to sin. People will just do whatever they want. Let me tell you, this is an incorrect understanding of biblical grace. Let me be super clear here this morning. Let me remind all of us of something I said from this platform a couple of years ago when I reminded us of 2 Titus 11 and 12, where it says this. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Verse 12. It, i.e. grace, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. 
So understanding and learning from grace doesn't mean that we can just sin and live however we want because we're saved by grace. Rather, grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and it teaches us positively to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. See, if we truly understand grace, we don't abuse it. We draw strength from it. If we truly understand grace, we don't waste energy trying to earn it. We simply receive it and live out of it. So Galatians 5, last week, tells us what keeping in step with the Spirit is, whereas Galatians 6 shows us what keeping in step with the Spirit is. We can say that Galatians 5 is the audio and Galatians 6 is the video. But both, ch- both chapters are trying to answer this question. If the gospel is good, how shall we live? Ready for the answer? Okay, beginning of Galatians 6, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, any sin, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Now, the jewel in this passage is this little phrase, you who are spiritual, capital S, those who are spirit-filled, spirit-led, spirit-driven, those keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. Those who are spiritual gently restore those who are caught in sin. And the word caught here in verse 1 translates to this idea of falling. And the King James translates this as being overtaken. It's like you didn't necessarily set out to do something, but you just got caught up in something, and now you're stuck in it. It says here, if anyone is caught, and listen, hear me, this could be any one of us. If anyone is is caught. Look here, here's the grace. In any transgression, any sin. See, in God's mind, there is no sin that is too big, too awful, too bad. God says, if any of us is caught in any thing, you who are spiritual should restore them. And the word restore here is the same word that we find when James and John were mending their fishing nets. It's this careful kind of repairing and restoring. And then, of course, God adds, in a spirit of gentleness. Let me ask you a question. Has anyone ever called you out on a sin? Raise your hand. Come on. (laughs) Here's what I've learned. Harshness is hard to hear. Would you agree? Harshness is hard to hear. If someone calls you out on something in a harsh way, it's like, it's like they're telling the truth, but they're saying the truth in a way that makes it very hard to receive. I heard a pastor once say that if you're wrong in the way that you're right, you're wrong even though you're right. The Pharisees were right about a lot of things, but they were wrong in the way they were right, and so they were wrong. But have you ever had a person in your life that has caught you in a sin, and then they've leaned in with a heart of grace and love and restored you to Jesus? It's like they said hard things to us, but they said hard things 
softly. Through their gentleness, grace moves from a theological category to a felt experience. And when this happens, usually, and I know this in my own life, I've melted into repentance. It's almost like harshness hardens us, but grace melts us. James 1.20 says, The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So what does produce the righteousness of God? Verse 1, gentle confrontation. The question is, where do we get this gentleness? Well, we know in Galatians 5.23 that gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit, right? Gentleness is our Christian superpower. It is. So as the Spirit is gentle with sinners like us through the gospel of grace, we can forward that grace to anyone caught in anything And that gentle grace will melt others' hearts into repentance. The other reason we need to be gentle is at the end of verse 1 here. It says, keep watch on yourselves, lest you be tempted. See, spirit-filled people aren't harsh towards other people's sins. Why? Because the spirit is continually bringing tender conviction to their own hearts and their own sin. See, I believe that God wants us to be a church that has the hard conversations. Don't hear me wrong. We must be a community that lean into the hard conversations, but we lean into them softly. We have the hard conversations gently so that grace is felt and we are restored to Jesus. Amen? But sometimes it's not sin. Sometimes it's suffering. We see this in verse 2. Bear one another's burdens... And so fulfill the law of Christ. God is saying, you who are spiritual, you who are spirit-filled, you, are, you who are spirit-led, spirit-driven, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You say, John, but hold on a second. I thought we were done with the law pretty much every week throughout this whole Galatians series. You said, we're done with the law. Well, we are done with the law of Moses but we're not done with the law of Christ. You say, John, well, what is the law of Christ? Well, do you remember when Jesus washed his disciples' feet? In John 13, 34, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you would love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. See, in the law of Moses, there were 613 commands, commands about every little situation of life. And the law of Moses was written to people who were asking the question, what must I do? But with the law of Christ, there's just one command. Love. Love. Love for every situation of life. See, the law of Christ was written to people who are now asking by the Spirit, not what must I do, but what can I do? When we see someone going uh, through something, we need to ask the question, what can I do to love them right now? How can I help bear this burden? And let me tell you, as the pastor of this church, it is a beautiful thing to watch this happen right across the church family 
all the time. When we suffer, when we go through stuff, I watch. We try to love one another. We try to bear each other's burdens. And that is us fulfilling the law of Christ. Verse 3, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. In other words, if you think you're something, if you think you don't need help from others, you can handle life without others bearing your burdens. Let me tell you, church, you're deceiving yourselves. We do need each other's help. Verse 4, but let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Verse 4 here is saying, test your own work. Examine your own actions before taking pride in them. Don't boast comparing yourself superior than your neighbor. God here actually encourages us to self-reflect and in humility in our own achievements. Recognize them with him at the heart. And we're not to forget verse 5. For each will have to bear his own load. Look, there is no easy road to heaven. Everyone's journey will be hard, and some harder than others. I've mentioned this verse many times over the last six months. Acts 14, 22, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God, which is why we need people around us helping bear our burdens. See, I think in God's kindness, when we're not doing well, someone else around us is doing well. And you can see that as super annoying, or you could see it as God's grace. Carry others' burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Verse 6, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Let me say to you, Thank you for those of you that continue to love me and my family, the way that you share good things with us. Continue to do that. But let me encourage you also to continue to share all good things with the rest of this preaching team who come and diligently study the scriptures and bring the word of God in this context. Extend all good things to them as well. Verse 6. Those who are spirit-filled should support the word. See, when people are walking in the spirit, they don't like see a need in the church and they think, oh, well, someone else will take care of that. They think, because I've been taught the word of God here, I'm going to meet the need here. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things. And God is not just talking about money here. He's talking about all good things, our, our time and our, and our talents and our gifts God says, this is evidence that you are walking in step with the Spirit here, when you share all good things here. Now, at this point, Paul zooms out from something pretty specific to something pretty general. Verse 7 and 8 says, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. In finishing this book, God is saying to us, church, sow in the Spirit. 
See, back here in Galatia, and like some of the church today, some Christians are hesitant to support the ministry of the church. And Paul says here in verse 7, do not be deceived. Whatever one sows, this he will reap. Look, I'm sure you've all experienced people grumbling. But if we give ourselves over to to, to moaning and thinking bad of others, things start to get pretty dark pretty quick. If we resign ourselves to believing the worst about someone, especially within the church, we can find ourselves feeling like emotionally distant from them pretty quickly. We, We kind of reap corruption, right? I mean, look at older people. There are really two types, really godly and really not. There are people, and you know who they are, who have sown into the flesh. They've, they've given themselves over to sin and the flesh for 70, 80 years, and it's evident. And then there's the ones, and there's loads of you in this church, who exude love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And it's evident. Why is that? Because for 70 or 80 years, they've been sowing in the Spirit, and now they're reaping in the Spirit. Coastline Vineyard, as we close the book of Galatians, my prayer is that we would be a community that sow in the Spirit, that we would choose love over indifference, we choose joy over grumbling, we choose generosity over selfishness, to be a community that is yielded to the Spirit in the minutes and the moments of our every days. And over time, church, we will reap in the Spirit an eternal, abundant blessing. We'll know freedom, and we will know fullness of life. Then God zooms out further from supporting the Word and sowing in the Spirit to verse 9 and 10. It says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap If we do not give up, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. So if you're filled with the Spirit, and if the gospel is as good as Galatians says it is, then spread all the good you can. Acts 10, 38 says, Jesus of Nazareth, with the Holy Spirit and with power, went about doing good. So when we walk by the Spirit of Jesus and we go about doing good, goodness and kindness, they just come natural, right? I mean, has there ever been more of a radical counter, countercultural moment to be kind than right now? So many voices are rising in our culture because of their lack of kindness and goodness. I see it all the time on these podcasts, on social media. People are becoming popular because they're really good at not being kind. They're really good at being harsh and slamming people. And often, for me, it feels like there's just so much anger in the world. And God says, this is so radical. You who are spiritual, be kind. Do good to everyone, especially those in the household of faith, in the church. Now, don't misunderstand me. If we're filled with the Spirit of Jesus, there is a time and a place to get righteously indignant, to speak with cutting clarity. But like Jesus, 
if we're filled with his spirit, our default mode should be to be kind and to be good. Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light shine before others, that they may see your what? Your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So everything that I've said so far is basically the introduction to this. Verse 11. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. See, it was customary for Paul to dictate his letters. But at the end of his, his letters, he would often write, and we, we see it in 1 Corinthians 16.21 and Colossians 4.18. He says, I, Paul, write the greeting with my own hand. It's almost like Paul did this to authenticate that this letter was from him. See, I've always read this verse and thought, Paul needs to get himself down to Specsavers. I mean, like, he wrote with large letters. I mean, anyway, I'm wrong. Most scholars believe that Paul didn't have an issue with his eyes, but he actually writes the end of this letter in capitals. And I don't know about you, but if you've ever received a text from me, and it's in capitals, it's usually because I'm trying to emphasize something. So, verses 11 to 18, God is writing in capitals. Let's continue. In capitals, verse 12. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and not only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. God is highlighting in capitals, look out for those who are all about making a good show in the flesh. People who put on a good face, whose total focus is on the outward. People who aren't content until we're all doing things the way they want us to do things. Watch out for them. Verse 13, for even those who are circumcised do not, keep the, do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. They boast in your flesh. I mean, these kind of people feel good about themselves the more and more people flock to behold their impressiveness. And God says, look out for these people. So what are we supposed to do? Remember, all in capitals, verse 14. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So rather than make a good showing in the flesh, God wants us, all in capitals, to boast, to boast large, to boast big, to boast crazy, but boast only in the cross of Jesus Christ. We learn in Galatians 2, verse 20, I, you, have been crucified with Christ. You want to know how loved you are? God loved you so much that he sent the co-equal, co-eternal Son of God to the cross for you. Boast in that. You want to know how valuable you are? God sent the most worship-worthy person in the whole of the universe to the cross to redeem you. Boast in that. God loves you so much that he sent Jesus to die on the cross to forgive your sin and make you right with God. Boast in that. He loves you so much because Jesus went to the cross. You'll never experience wrath. You'll never, taste, you'll never taste death because Jesus went to the cross for you and overcome the grave. You can have new life today. 
all in capitals. God wants us to spend our lives boasting in that. We're created to find our self-worth and our self-value in our relation to the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus promised that when the Spirit comes in John 16, 14, he will glorify Jesus. Here all in capitals, verse 15. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. See, if you're spirit-filled, if you're spirit-led, if you're spirit-driven, the application to all of this is just be a new creation. Step into being a new creation. The only thing that matters is that by the filling and the generating work of the Holy Spirit, we are made new. God wants us to realize as we finish Galatians, we're changed. We have the Holy Spirit in us. We are new by his grace. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. My question to you, church, is do you really believe that? The old has passed. Behold, the new has come. We just need to step into it. We just need to believe that by grace and grace alone, we're no longer slaves to sin. We're no longer slaves to death. We're no longer slaves to Satan. We are sons and daughters and heirs. Yeah. Come on. We're all new creations, and this changes everything. So let's make it our rule of life. Because if we do, verse 16, and as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon Israel of God. Coastline Vineyard, if we'll just believe the gospel of Galatians, we will have peace with God. I believe there are a number of people in this room today, maybe watching online, and you don't feel peace with God. Let me remind you, Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, it's literally what the whole book of Galatians is about, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus. God wants us to feel his peace And in verse 16, to receive his mercy. Mercy for all the bad that we've done and mercy for all the good we've done trying to earn his grace. We're nearly there. Verse 17. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. And we don't know exactly what Paul is talking about here. We know he had some pretty difficult times in terms of getting out there and sharing the gospel. But he had marks on his body for believing what he preached. And precious Coastline Vineyard Church, if you believe the gospel of Galatians, the gospel of grace alone, we may take some hits. We may bear some scars. Some of you already bear some scars. And if not physically, at least on your reputation. You know, I want to pastorally prepare you if you're new on this journey. You will take some hits because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Finally, Remember, all in capitals, last verse, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. 
The great commentator William Barclay says, after the storm and the stress, the intensity of the letter comes the peace of the benediction. Paul has argued and rebuked and cajoled, but his last word is grace. For him, the only word that really mattered. And I'll end how I started, church. If we truly understand grace, we don't abuse it. We draw strength from it. If we truly understand grace, we don't waste energy trying to earn it. We simply receive it by the Spirit and live out of it. In light of grace, how should we live? We should live Spirit-filled, Spirit-led, Spirit-driven with gentleness and love. And the truth of the gospel will come out of us and into the world around us and change the world, not because of us, but because of his amazing grace. Amen? Amen. Amen.